please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Matt. And I am choking on my cousin, Emily. You got to keep that. No, I'm keeping that. Okay, good. <laughs> that was good. That's how should, you should end the year. That was perfect. Choking on my gum. Yeah, and then I've been doing Heimlich. And then the gum sticking because it's gum. That'd be horrible. Maybe I should spit my gum out before we keep going. Maybe. You need some paper or something to... <laughs> Put that gum in. No, I'm gonna be. I'm keep. I'm. I like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, she likes a challenge. She wants to chew while you're listening. I won't That's do what's that. Gonna happen. No. Okay. Hey, we hope you had a great, very merry Christmas. Heck yeah! And this is our last week of 2021. Yep. For all of us. Yep. Never going back. Nope. We're always moving forward. Always. That's right. One day at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up this year, and we want to wish you all a very safe and happy new year. Yep, it's coming up this weekend, and New Year's is on a weekend, y'all. That's right. Fun. Good times. Doing it big. Oh, we are. we got grandkids with us. That's <laughs> going to be doing it big, a three-year-old and two-year-old. We're going out in 2021 in style. Oh, yeah, we are. But anyway, <gasps> uh, my wife can share a little bit of listenership stuff yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. So... I got our Spotify wrapped year in review thing on our podcast. Our streaming was up 94%, which is awesome. Listeners went up. This number blew my mind. I'm like, how did they, like, I don't know how they got this, but it went up 828%, which, That's again, good. I don't know how they get that number. We earned uh, 113 new followers and 233 new listeners. And we have at least one fan in nine different countries now. Which is awesome sauce. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, so thanks for listening, you guys. You. We do appreciate it in all seriousness. That's why I wanted to share that with you. Now if we could just get some sponsors and some supporters, this thing just might take off. Yeah, and some of that's on us. We need to do better. We do. We, we need And to, we can. We need to promote Maybe we'll it. write some goals down for 2022 Speak for the podcast. Speak into your microphone better. Speak into my microphone better. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we'll do some goal setting for 2022. Maybe we should. Podcast. We probably should. It'd probably <laughs> be a good idea. But yeah, you know, like I was I was behind on updating our website and our Instagram. I got that all caught up. Mm. Good. But, but that needs to be a priority. Right. So. Well, your husband could take some more ownership mm, in some of these things. But anyway. I've been trying to say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with that. 
again, thanks, you guys. And uh, we're going to just jump into this final podcast of 2021. Awesome. Part three, Fred and Rosemary West. So anyway, we've covered their lives and crimes. Now let's wrap this up with their arrests and punishments. And I know usually a podcast that's talking about someone's arrest and their their trial is kind of bleh. Why, yeah. why don't you just sum that summarize that? But theirs is not like that. That's why I wanted to do a whole segment on this because it's actually is it entertaining i think it is okay then kind of a karma smack you in the face few of those moments in here which i kind of like oh good so i wanted to dedicate a part three for this so if you remember at the end of part two their daughter heather had cried herself to sleep and her family heard it all night long she saw her siblings before they went to school but when they got home she was gone right yep fred and rose had given a few different explanations and constantly changing stories, and this drew attention to her disappearance. So in May of 1992, Fred asked his 13-year-old daughter Louise to bring some bottles to a room on the first floor of their home, and I'm sure we can guess what he's about to do with little Louise, right? Mm -hmm. Rose wasn't home at the time, and shortly after, her siblings hear her screaming, no, don't. A little while after this, Fred came downstairs and her siblings went upstairs to find her writhing on the ground in pain, claiming that he had raped, sodomized, and strangled her. Mm. When Rose came home, Louise told her about it. And Rose simply replies that she was asking for it because she's mother of the year. Oh, yeah. She's an amazing woman. Yes. So over the next several weeks, Louise was raped several more times with Rose witnessing one of those times. And she followed a distressed and bleeding Louise into a bathroom asking her, quote, well, what did you expect? End quote. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. Again, great mom. Good mother. Fred also filmed one of the rapes. And a few weeks later, Louise told a friend what was happening to her, similarly to what Heather did, right? This friend, though, turned around and told her mom on August 4th. And that friend's mom turned around and made an anonymous call to the police. Good. Right? Let's start this. Someone is finally doing spiral something. Spiral of these people. Yes. So on August 6th, 1992, police searched Fred and Rose's home on the pretext that they were searching for stolen property. They found a lot of sexual paraphernalia, including 99 homemade porn and commercially made porn videos, but they didn't find the rape tape that they that Louise had told her friend about. Louise made a full statement though. Through a trained solicitor describing her father's actions, the fact that the sexual abuse had actually been on when she was 11 years old, and that her mom was indifferent to what she was going through. And all the kids in the household were placed into foster care the very next day. And medical examination showed evidence of both physical and sexual abuse. Good. Right? So now something's happening. Okay. Like, this is a, yay, the kids are out of this nightmare, you know? Yeah, for sure. So the kids also told police about their mom being the one who inflicted the most physical abuse and said that their dad would frequently say that if they told anyone about what was happening in their home, they would be buried under the patio like their sister Heather. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. So the family joke is getting out there, right? Yeah. This prompts police to do a full-scale investigation that eventually led Fred to being charged with three counts of rape and one of buggery, which is sodomy in England. I had to look that up. I'm like... What is buggery? Buggery. Now I know. It's sodomy. Rose was charged as an accomplice um, and with child cruelty, inciting her husband to engage in sex with their daughter, as well as obstructing the police. 
And based on the claims of the kids, they were questioned about whether Heather or where Heather was. And Fred told police she was alive and well and supporting herself as a prostitute. But Rose told police she didn't know where Heather was or why she had left home. Then on August 11th, she, she said she remembered that Heather had left home because Rose was concerned that the other kids were going to find out that Heather was a lesbian. Can I just say they are so focused on this Heather's a lesbian thing? Yeah. Like the homosexual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like if this is a tarnishment on our family. Right. Yet Rose herself had girlfriends. Yes. I, I this it, just doesn't make sense it to doesn't. me. Like these people that alone uh, shows you how stupid and crazy they are, mm-hmm. right? So let me just point that out. Like I am not homophobic. Rose was dumb. She also added that she had given Heather 600 pounds to motivate her to move out and then also said that she had an occasional phone conversation with her over the years since she had moved out. The next day, on August 12th, Rose was granted bail but was told not to contact her children, her stepdaughter, or her husband prior to her upcoming trial. So she was basically a no-contact order. Okay. Fred, however, had to wait trial in, in jail. His daughter, Anna Marie, found out that he was denying that he had done anything wrong. Mind you, she's grown up. She's married. She's moved away. Yep. Um, She contacted police and told her story, giving a full statement. Good. She detailed years of physical, mental, and sexual abuse that she had endured from both her mom or her stepmom and her dad. She also agreed to testify against both parents at their upcoming trial. Does she do it? You will find out. I hope so. She also told police that she had unsuccessfully been trying to find her real mom, Rena, and her half-sister, Charmaine, and and Heather, both half-sisters, for years. Ain't gonna find them. No, but mentioning those other two names in addition to Heather's, get police scratching their their heads. They're like, what? Okay, yeah. What's going on? Mm -hmm. All right. So during more interviews with Anna Marie's husband, Chris Davis, police learned that Heather had confided in him how unhappy she was and how desperate she was to leave home just before she disappeared. Chris said that although Heather didn't go into detail about what was going on, he had offered to confront Fred and Rose for her, but she told him no, saying, quote, for Christ's sake, don't, because they'll kill us both, Mm, end quote. Yeah, true statement. Mm -hmm. He also stressed that police should find Heather to get more details concerning her sexual abuse, because, you know, they all believe that she's alive somewhere. They didn't know that she was dead. Mm. While police were investigating, they also spoke with May. Remember May June? Yep. She, May June, yeah. <laughs> that was her name. She had talked to her sister Louise and found out that Louise didn't want to see her dad charged. You know, the little 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So she initially denied having ever been molested by Fred as an adolescent. She tried to save her dad. So wow. police focused on trying to find Heather so that they could corroborate Anna Marie's story. They found through inquiries in the Inland Review Department and the or Inland Revenue Department and Social Security that there was no evidence that Heather was alive. Yeah. There was no job, mm-hmm. files, nothing. Nothing out there. Yeah, this girl just fell off the face of the planet. Yeah. Two months later, because of the inquiries the police are doing, Gloucester Social Services also contacted police to stress their concern over the whereabouts of Heather. Because there's no activity yeah. for this girl. Yeah. So, unfortunately, though, the case collapsed when May and Louise both refused to testify against their parents on June 7th, 1993, with the child rape victim insisting she wanted to return to her family. Mm. This led Anna Marie to also withdraw her statement. 
because she Goodness. noted she noted the distress of her younger siblings and she didn't want to put them through, through more. more. Yeah. And because she didn't want to be victimized by Rose, who was very vindictive person, she did, however, stress that her mom and half sister Charmaine were still missing, that they wanted it looked into. Yeah. So with the case falling apart, they're acquitted of all charges, but the kids were not returned to them when they got out. They remained in foster care, which is awesome. But they did have supervised visitations with them because the police couldn't justify not allowing them to see them. But at least they were supervised. Mm -hmm. If you remember back in part one, Fred and Rose's families had disowned them. A few of them remember that. Yep. But there were a few members of their family that that they weren't estranged from. Mm -hmm. So after all this happened, though, even those family members broke ties. Like everybody is cutting them off. Everything is changing. Yeah. So police were still investigating Heather's disappearance, noting that no records existed that she was still alive. When police asked Anna Marie about the family joke concerning Heather being buried under the patio, she did confirm that the the joke was real, but that she didn't take it seriously because her dad would immediately start laughing about it. So she thought it really was a joke used to keep the kids in line. Okay. Well, I was thinking, you know, they just need to get a shovel and start digging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, not that they can, but... They kind of do. Sure they should. So when police retraced Fred's history, they also discovered that Rena and Charmaine had both disappeared in 1971, but no missing reports had been filed. This convinced police that Heather was dead and that the family joke about her whereabouts were probably true. Yeah. So on February 23rd, 1994, Gloucester police obtained a search warrant authorizing them to search the property for Heather's remains. And when police show up on February 24th and presented Rose with the search warrant, she reportedly got very pale, then became hysterical and started shouting over her shoulder to her eldest son, Stephen, to get Fred. She also became contradictory in her informal questioning about Heather. And when police pointed out the discrepancies in her story, she became distraught and abusive, shouting at police, Saying, quote, I can't fucking remember. It's a bloody long time ago. What do you think? I am a bloody computer, end quote. <laughs> like, she's getting discombobulated. Oh, yeah. She doesn't know what to say or right, do. Right, And Fred, Fred was at work at the time. So, you know, Stephen calls him on the phone. He, he, said, he tells Stephen, you know, I'll be home immediately. He arrived home three hours later because of where he was working. Oh, wow. And he told his family he was going to voluntarily provide a witness statement to the police about Heather's whereabouts. He insisted that she was alive and well, but she was involved in a drug cartel. So oh, here we go. We're going to fabricate some stories. stories. Yeah. yeah. Again. And in response to the family joke, he said it was it was rubbish. I love that word. Rubbish. I love it. <laughs> rubbish. This whole story is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> then Fred abruptly changed tactics because he could tell police weren't buying his story. He claimed that they held a grudge against him because of his 1993 acquittal of raping his 13-year-old daughter. Could you imagine that? Turning the tables on the police like, Oh, yeah. You were just doing this because you're pissed with me because right. I didn't get... And like they remember any of that. Right. Yeah. Well, they probably do, well, but... Maybe. Or they know about it. Well, it's the same police that were working on that case. Oh. Like, it didn't change hands. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they, they do. Out. We need to talk about that part. <laughs> So anyway, that evening when police left, only leaving behind one officer to guard the excavation site, May and Stephen saw 
saw their parents talking in hushed tones and repeatedly glancing toward the backyard from the kitchen window. And hmm. mind you, Stephen and May are grown, and they're still living with their parents, which wow. is disturbing to that me. That is. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. But they're in a weird situation. I mean, they they've are. been put through so much. Right. You know. stick with what you know, I guess. Yeah. So the next morning, as Stephen is getting ready to leave for work, Fred pulls him to the side and says, quote, Look, son, look after mom and sell the house. I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can, end quote. Shortly after this, police arrive and continue their search for Heather's body. When they get there, Fred tells them he wants to be arrested for Heather's murder and to be taken to Berlin Police Station to provide a full confession. He was then arrested. And at 11.15 that morning, Fred told police he had killed his daughter, but made it sound like manslaughter. He said he strangled her in a fit of rage, then dismembered her body in the ground floor bathroom with a heavy serrated knife that he normally used to cut frozen slabs of meat with. She had been stored in a dustbin while he waited for an opportunity to dig her grave. He insisted that his wife had no knowledge of their daughter's murder. He claimed he had committed the murder while Rose was preoccupied with the client. Because remember, she had her little red room upstairs. (laughs) Well, I don't know what else to call it. Wow. Uh, He also told them they hadn't found her remains because they were searching the wrong area in the yard. He then volunteered to show police where her body was buried. And at this point, his lawyers told his kids, May and Stephen, that he had confessed to Heather's murder. Stephen's reaction was to slump against the wall and sob. And May went into shock first and then denial, insisting that Fred had not killed her sister. This poor girl. Yeah. The next day, February 26th, police began excavating the section of yard Fred had told them she was buried. A little after 4 p.m., police found a human thigh bone sticking out of an area of the yard that Fred had insisted police did not need to be looking in. Ooh. Right? In the area that Fred had told them to look, they found a mass of human remains encased in a dustbin and tied with rope. These remains were taken to the police station and examined where it was determined it was a young woman and that her kneecap and several finger bones were missing. As usual, we have missing bones. Right. The victim's fingernails were found in a pile, suggesting they had been torn from her fingers as a means of torture. Several hours later, and with the use of dental records, it was determined that this was Heather. Okay. That night, formally charged with his daughter's murder and questioned about the additional bone that was found, Fred confessed that there were two more sets of human remains in his room. Oh, wow. Yeah, so stuff just really starts to unravel from here. He's just starting to tell. Well, I think he just felt like, what else can I do? I can't say it's hers. Yeah, we're going to find out. Right. So he agreed to go back with police and show where they were buried. He He said one set was Shirley Robinson, who he had described as a former tenant, and lesbian, again, we're stuck on the lesbianism. What, yeah. what the heck? I know. <laughs> Who had been very pregnant with his child at the time of her death in 1978, yet she was a lesbian. Let me just, let me just go with the consistencies here, okay? Yeah. Like, the other victim, he said, was Shirley's lover, but this was a lie, and he either couldn't remember who it actually was or just refused to tell people. And they were both found on February 28th, and Fred was charged with both murders two days later. Okay. So since police had now found three sets of human remains in the yard, they made a decision to do a thorough search of the entire property. As they should. Yep. Rose, though, has not been arrested yet. She is placed in a safe house during the search. Because remember, Fred is telling them that she knows nothing about any of this. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, 
Fred is being extensively questioned, up to 16 hours of questioning each day, and he was being pushed about the whereabouts of his stepdaughter, Charmaine, and his first wife, Rena. Like, he's really feeling the pain. Yeah. Finally, Fred gives his lawyer a note and authorizes him to read it to the police, where he admits to nine more murders, including those of Charmaine, Rena, Linda Go, and more that he would identify later. Wow. Yeah, basically he starts telling all. Fred tells police there are five bur- bodies buried in a cellar and a sixth body buried under the ground floor bathroom. Most of these victims, Fred told police, were hitchhikers or girls he had murdered in the 1970s after picking them up from bus stops, which we know to be true. Yep, right? yep. Initially, Fred claimed these six victims had been killed when they had threatened to tell Rose about their affairs. And he said he had brought them to the house where he abused them, dismembered them, and buried them in shallow graves. But he's trying to do it as a as a pretense to... Rose knows nothing about it. Yeah. He claimed the dismemberment made it easier to bury the remains in shallow cubicle-shaped graves, and he agreed to come back to the house with police and show them where they were buried as well. Okay. This piece, you know, that reminds me of, like, Dexter and the whole truck stop where the girls are there at the truck stop and serial, the guys getting them from the truck stop instead of the bus stops. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But it just reminds me of that. Well, I'm trying to think of the episode. Well, it's a few episodes where the girls are at the truck stop at his at the diner. You're talking about the new series. New series. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a great show. If you guys haven't watched it, we're just gonna take a little sidebar break here and advertise the new. So good. Dexter New Blood on Showtime. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. So, um. Between March 5th and March 8th, police find six more bodies of young females at this house. Each victim has been extensively mutilated, and each body showed evidence of having been subjected to extreme sexual abuse prior to being murdered. For example, the third set of remains that were found in the cellar had rope tied around the skull and an oval of of adhesive tape around uh, like 16 inches in diameter found showing that had been used to secure a gag in her mouth. Oh, okay. They also found a large serrated knife with the remains, and the second set of human remains had tubing twisted into a U-shape alongside her severed limbs, and her skull was encased in adhesive tape that had been wrapped around her face 11 or 12 times with narrow plastic tubes inserted in the nasal cavity. Mm. Like, could you imagine? Like, are you overdoing it much 11 or 12 times wrapped around your head we're gonna make sure it's it sticks good so each set of remains were missing bones specifically finger bones but when questioned about this fred refused to answer i'll i kind of explain why later despite fred's insistence that rose had no knowledge of any of this investigators suspected that wasn't true Rose was arrested on April 20th, 1994, initially on offenses relating to the rape of an 11-year-old girl and the physical assault of an 8-year-old boy, both charges dating from the 1970s. The following day, she was denied bail and transferred to Puckle Church Prison. I love these names. (laughs) Puckle Church. I knew you would. To be uh, held in the maximum security wing. She was questioned more closely about the murders in particular, the murders of Heather and Linda Go. She was formally charged with Linda Go's murder on April 25th, and by May 6th, Fred and Rose were jointly charged with five counts of murder, and Rose's only response was, I'm innocent. This would be her song throughout the rest of her interviews and her trial. 
Hmm. I'm glad she finally went down, though. Me too. About time. Right? Because this is an evil woman. Oh, man. Like, yeah. Fred is evil, too. Oh, yeah. But she is she is worse than him, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And you go, how could that be <laughs> with both of them and how bad they are? Yes. But, I mean, she did step it up a little notch. It seemed like. Yeah, I think so. But, so Fred confessed to the murders of his stepdaughter, Charmaine, and his first wife, Rena, too. And knowing... He also confessed to knowing the location of the body of Anne McFall, though he always denied killing her, even though she's noted to be one of his first kills. He's always denied killing her, just Hmm. knowing where her body is. Yeah. He agreed to show the location of each burial site, and the remains were all unearthed between April 10th and June 7th. He was then transferred to Birmingham's Winston Green Prison, where he was under suicide watch and checked in his cell every 15 minutes. Okay. So now he's like, I just want to die. Mm. Just kill me. So on June 30th, 1994, Fred and Rose were arraigned. Fred was charged with 11 counts of murder, and Rose was charged with 9 counts of murder. So they did charge her. This was the first time they had seen each other since February. And prior to the hearing, Fred had leaned towards Rose and placed a hand on her shoulder, and Rose visibly winced in discomfort and she had ignored his presence from the minute they had entered the courtroom, which I thought was weird. But then later it turns out that this is a tactic for her to try and Distance show her herself. innocence. Uh-huh. I, if they think I don't even want him to touch me, I'll be this grieving mother, right? Right. Both were denied bail. As police were trying to leave Fred out of the courtroom, he resisted and tried to reach for Rose, who again winced away from him. Immediately after this appear- this court appearance, Fred was rearrested for the murder of Anne McFall, and he was formally charged with her murder on July 3rd, appearing in court on July 4th. So as he was being held in the months following his arrest, Fred fell into a deep depression that only got worse after Rose's public rejection of him Mm -hmm. and her refusal to reply to any of his letters, in addition to reports that showed Rose was playing the victim and role of grieving mother over the deaths of her daughter and stepdaughter, and she openly denied any involvement and complete hatred of him. Could you imagine this? Mm-mm. She just turned her back on him in oh, yeah. two seconds. Real quick. Yeah. Fred pleaded with Stephen and May and Anna Marie, the only children who would come visit him, which I'm surprised any of them did, to tell Rose that he loved her, but Rose never acknowledged him. And in response, Fred withdrew his earlier confessions to having acted alone and accused his wife of almost total responsibility in all the murders he had been charged with, excluding that of Anne McFall which he claimed had been committed by his first wife, Rena. Like, he still denies this, but he says Rena killed her. Rena did that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, on November 29th, 1994, Fred wrote Rose and the kids a letter. And the letter said, quote, To Rose West, Steve, and May. Well, Rose, it's your birthday on 29 November 1994, and you will be 41 and still beautiful and still lovely, and I love you. We will always be in love. The most wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. Our love is special to us. So, love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. Where we are put together forever and ever is up to you. We loved Heather, both of us. I would love Charmaine to be with Heather and Rena. You will always be Mrs. West all over the world. That is important to me and to you. I haven't got you a present, but all I have is my life. I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. Fred West's suicide note. End quote. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
So the initial suicide watch had been relaxed, and on January 1st, 1995, Fred asphyxiated himself in a cell by wrapping an improvised rope he had constructed from a blanket and tags he had stolen from the prison library around his neck. Then, binding it to a door handle and window catch and sinking sinking down to his knees. At the bottom of the suicide note, he had drawn a gravestone and wrote on it, in loving memory of Fred West, Rose West, rest in peace where no shadows fall. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose's wife. Mm. Like, he wow. was very dramatic with that, yes, wasn't he? Was. he was. He was <clears throat> over the top. Yeah, so now Fred has taken the easy way out. Yep. Rose is going to trial. In February of 1995, she pled not guilty to 10 counts of murder. They added the murder of Charmaine to her original nine based on Fred's claims prior to his suicide. Two counts of rape and indecent assault of young girls having been dropped with a view of, you know, for later resubmission if they needed it. Mm -hmm. Her counsel did concede that circumstantial evidence indicated Rose's willingness to subject young girls to sadistic physical and sexual abuse. Her official trial began on October 3rd in the in an early decision made by the judge based on the prosecution's argument that it was necessary to show a pattern of behavior. Testimony related to the sexual mistreatment of three women by Fred and Rose was admitted into the trial. To it? Okay, so it became part of it. Yep. All right. So the prosecution does their job and portrays Fred and Rose as sex-obsessed sadistic murderers, which they were. <laughs> yeah. They describe their house as being filled with dismembered bodies. He wow. then, yeah, he yeah. then pointed out that Fred was incarcerated at the time of Charmaine's murder, leaving no one else but Rose to be responsible for her death. They claimed that Fred and Rose had learned from their mistakes by demonstrating that they, they had let Caroline Owens live, which caused them problems. And they showed that the gag found on Teresa Siegenthaler had a feminine touch because the scarf was tied with a bow. So this showed Rose's Rose involvement. Rose doing it. Okay. Yeah. He promised to show that Rose was controlling and sexually sadistic and that her efforts to deflect suspicion about the disappearances of their victims was pointless because all evidence showed her as an active participant. Mm -hmm. They were a dynamic duo. Oh, yeah, they were. Witnesses included their tenants, some of the victims' relatives, Rose's mother, Daisy, and her sister, Glennis, and surviving victims to include Anna Marie West, Catherine Halliday, who was a former lover of Rose and Fred's, um, Caroline Owens, and a Miss A. She remained anonymous, but she had been sexually assaulted by Fred and Rose, and she described Rose as the more aggressive of the two. Damning yeah. for yeah. Rose. Right. Some neighbors also testified to Charmaine's disappearance. Rose's defense tried to discredit prosecution witnesses as having either financially exploited their connection to the case or as having a grudge against them. Mm -hmm. Caroline Owens admitted to having received 20,000 pounds for her story, but she described her survivor's guilt, saying, quote, I only want to get justice for the girls who didn't make it. I feel like it was my fault, end quote. Yeah. So, of course, a jury is going to be like, this poor girl. I don't care that she got paid for her story. She deserves to get paid for her right. story. Right, everything she's been through. Right. And too, I mean, I know the defense is going to go after these people too. I'm, I'm sure they're just great citizens themselves. But, oh yeah, you but know. But still, it. it's it's crazy. This mm -hmm. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I just can't believe it went on this long. <laughs> oh, but like it, twenty but, years. But 20 it does years. all the time. All these different events. All these different people. I there's, know. There's things. It's just like people that have been kidnapped and they're gone for. 
years and they're finally found. Mm-hmm. Living in the backyard or what, living like at, in like Ohio in the one, or whatever. Uh, I think the uh, maybe I don't know. I know who you're talking about, but like, look at the ones that were the three girls that were held in that guy's house. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's just, I don't, and, and you know, there's others out there, which is sad, but anyway. Mm-hmm. So Rose's defense team pointed out that Fred had murdered before meeting Rose, pointing out how similar that murder was to those Rose was being accused of as well. They were desperately pointing the finger at Fred and said that Rose didn't know what was happening. They urged the jury to not focus on her promiscuity and domineering personality. They just, Rose took the stand in her own defense, even though her lawyer advised against it, though. Mm-hmm. Like, they were really just trying to be like, don't worry about the fact that she's crazy. Don't worry about the fact that she has a red room upstairs. Just let's look at what Fred did. Let's yeah. look at the similarities well, yeah. of Fred. Let's try to... Let's blame the dead guy. Well, yeah, you want, yeah, well, too, yeah, let's turn it this way. Let's go look this way. Don't look at this. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because if you look too closely, you might see the truth. Mm-hmm. So she had several moods on the stand, sometimes morose and tearful, sometimes upbeat and cheery. She described her childhood of abuse and rape, which was terrible. We remember oh, that. Oh, of course. Yeah. She said she naively married a violent and domineering man, but if I remember correctly, didn't she chase him down with a knife? I'm just yeah, saying. Right. Um, but joked about issues such as her always being pregnant. Like, oh, yeah, but I was always pregnant. Mm-hmm. You were also always sleeping around. <laughs> she <get> even, <laughs> right? She even laughed when describing one of the victims wearing, quote, grandfather glasses, end quote. She laughed at a victim, but you want the jury to believe that you're, yeah. you know what I mean? You're not winning any favors here. No, you're laughing at a victim. She claimed she'd never even met six of the victims, and she couldn't recall much of her attack on Caroline Owen. Can you imagine sitting in a courtroom and having one of your attackers be like, I barely even remember anything I did to her? Yeah. Like, bitch, I'm coming over there. Yeah. I'm going to beat the crap out of you. I don't care if I got to go to jail for it. Right. It was worth it. Yes. I'll stay a few nights in the jail. Yes. In the clinker. Right. Hold me in contempt. Give me salt charges. I don't care because I'm about to beat your ass. Mm-hmm. So when shown photos of the victims buried in the cellar and victim Allison Chambers and asked by prosecution whether she recognized any of their faces, Rose's face turned bright red, and she repeatedly stuttered as she replied, quote, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, end quote. Like, she just, she didn't respond to it, but you could tell by her reaction, her Mm -hmm. physical reaction. Yeah. When asked about her life at home, she claimed she and Fred led separate lives, but this contrasted with witness testimony from neighbors and tenants, you know, or contradicted. Um, Rose admitted that her relationship with heather was strained and even told the court that her daughter was a lesbian who had physically and psychologically abused her siblings but in spite of this rose claimed she loved her daughter and didn't know about her murder and when asked about the constantly changing story after heather's disappearance rose claimed the discrepancies had come from telephone conversations she had had with heather after she left home like she just kept lying yeah well i mean that's what they do (sighs) Just so they annoying. Live in a whole like, nother facade, a whole made up world. There, things don't rules and law don't. Uh, you know, it's not part of them. Just it blows does, my don't mind. apply to them. That you're just gonna continue to lie. Mm-hmm. It's like that Jody Arias thing we were watching last night. Oh yeah. Anyway, so 
Defense then called several women who had claimed to have been attacked by Fred West between 1966 and 1975 and recognized him. They claimed they recognized him from a photo in the media in 1994. This was to illustrate that Fred was capable of abducting and killing women on his own. And the final witness was Fred's court-appointed adult, Janet Leach, though. So in England, I guess they they give you a, a lawyer. And then you have, like, you know, like, guardian ad litems here for kids? Yeah. To be the voice for the kid? Okay. I guess in England, they, they give you an adult. They give you one as an adult as well. They give you a court-appointed adult, even huh. though you're an adult. To speak for you or something. I don't really. Yeah, I thought it was weird. So she was called to testify in rebuttal to the tape recording of Fred's confession that the defense had played where he stressed that Rose didn't know anything about the murders. Because, of course, he at first he said, I did this. Rose didn't even know. Right. And they have this on tape and stuff. These are his confessions. But then Rose Rose rejects him. And he's like, fuck you, bitch. I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I'm going to. Tell everyone then. I'm just going to say it all. Yeah. Um, so Janet testified that Fred had gradually begun to view her as a confidant and had confided in her that one of the evenings prior to his February arrest, he and Rose had formed a pact where he would take full responsibility for all the murders, many that he had privately described to, as, to Janet as being, quote, some of Rose's mistakes. End quote. Like, yeah. hmm. they died because Rose got a little too carried away. Oh, and I can see this. Right? He had further told Janet that Rose had murdered Charmaine while he was in jail and had also murdered Shirley Robinson, which we know Charmaine to be true. He was incarcerated. Yep, yep. Uh, he had said that he dismembered the victims, though, and Rose participated in, in the mutilation and dismemberment of Shirley Robinson, having personally removed the unborn child from her womb after her death. Oh, my. Right. In reference to the other eight murders, Janet testified that Fred had confided Rose had, quote, played a major role in these murders, end quote. So, like, this is a woman who's been assigned to talk to him about this stuff. She did earn his confidence and she can sit on the stand and say, no, here's what really happened. According to Fred, I can be his voice from the grave. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. After seven weeks of evidence, the judge instructed the jury, emphasizing that circumstantial evidence can be sufficient for a finding of guilty. He also pointed out that if two people take part in a murder, the law considers both equally guilty, regardless of who did the actual killing. So he stresses these points. Mm -hmm. On November 21st and 22nd, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. Rose was sentenced to life in prison, never to be paroled. She was incarcerated at the HMP Bronzefield. She was later transferred to the HM prison, Low Newton, and then transferred to the HM prison, um, Newhall, in 2019, where she continues to claim she's innocent. Hmm. So Fred and Rose are known to have committed at least 12 murders between 1967 and 1987, and many connected to the case believe there are other victims out there whose bodies have never been found. Prior to his suicide, police had recorded over 108 hours of interview with Fred, both when he had claimed to have acted alone in the commission of the murders and when he attempted to point the finger at Rose. On several occasions, Fred made cryptic remarks about there possibly being more victims but refused to provide additional information beyond that he had murdered 15-year-old 
made Bastholm in 1968 and buried the body on farmland in New Bishop's Cleve. He also claimed to have killed one victim while working on a construction project in Birmingham and that other bodies had been buried in Scotland in the Hertfordshire. Hmm. So he is hinting that there are other There's victims. Others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which definitely a possibility. Right. And well, and to his court-appointed adult, Janet Leach, Fred had told her there were up to 20 more victims he and his wife had both killed. Oh. Quote, not in one place, but spread around, end quote. He had intended to reveal the location of one per year to investigators, but he killed himself. He also admitted to his son, Stephen, the victims at their home, and he described the rape and torture of them to him. He claimed that many were missing fingers and toes when, you know, when they were found. Yeah. Because that had been one of their forms of torture. They were removing them while they were alive. alive. Yeah. They also Mm. pulled out their nails. Oh, one by one, yeah. mutilated them, stubbed cigarettes out on their bodies, this kind of stuff. Damn. He also told him that the locations of almost all the burial sites were symbolic to Fred in some way, as he had buried them where he lived or worked at the time of the death. Jeez. Yeah. So, this is crazy. that's a wrap on Fred and Rose West. Three parts. Yeah, Three of craziness, crazy right? parts. These two were a piece of work. They, yes, were, they were, they were, uh, what's that, uh, natural born killers kind mm. of thing? Oh yeah. Only not so blatant about it. You know, yeah. like they're not just out shooting up some cafe or something like right. they're doing theirs in their basement. But it's wild how they find each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy how sometimes these couples come together. Anyway. Honey. What? We both have head injuries. How'd we find each other? Ooh. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like right. it happens it's crazy coincidences stuff. of things yeah all right well let us know what you think about these two amazing individuals not uh you can each uh if you'd like you can email us at wickedness true crime at yahoo.com you can check us out at our website at wickedness true crime and the unknown.com follow us on instagram at wickedness true crime you can also check us out on anchor where you can support us by clicking on that support button if you choose to, at anchor.fm slash wickedness. And last but not least, please rate and review us so we can get our podcast out to others. We appreciate you listening. Please stay safe this New Year's Eve. Be responsible if you're going out somewhere and have some fun. See you guys next year. Bye. Bye.